Hello, Ashley Posen here. I am so excited to get to share with you our live radio show now on podcast. I pray you enjoy and are richly blessed by our study of women of the Bible. God has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. We are dedicated to letting the truth of God's word lead us. You are listening to One Truth Ministries podcast. Here is your host, Ashley Posey. I want to remind you, we have been diving into just kind of a new series, looking at some very specific women of the Bible. And it took a little bit longer than I thought as we're going through Eve, just because there's so much to cover about her. Some of these other ladies will go through a little bit quicker, but we've been looking at the first woman created, of course, which was Eve. In the last two weeks, we've spent some time on the t- on her before or prior to the fall. So we've been looking at Eve and how she was made and why she was made, what the purpose of woman is. So we've really been kind of getting into that just a little bit um, the last couple weeks. And so we've been spending time prior to the fall of mankind today And even next week, we're going to take a look at this particular moment in time when humanity fell. So we want to learn, even from the mistakes of the women that have gone before us, we want to learn both from their successes and from their mistakes. It's so funny, as I've been going through this time looking at creation and Adam and Eve, I tell you what, there's so many jokes out there. I don't know. There's so many jokes, so many stories. But one story in particular caught my mind. I thought it was just the cutest thing. Actually, a mom was just sharing this story, and I thought it was just precious. She said that um, her little boy had just, they just gotten home from church, just gotten home from Sunday school, and the little boy comes up to his mom as she's making them lunch, and he says, Mommy, is it true that, you know, before we were created or before we were born, that we were just dust, and that after we die, we go back to being dust? And, you know, she's a little preoccupied making her lunch. And so she says, yeah, that's right, son. You know, why do you ask? And he says, well, they just they taught us that in Sunday school today. And he noticed she noticed that he was very contemplative, that he was really focusing in on this question. And so after a little bit of time where he still wasn't speaking, she said, honey, again, why did you ask that? What's bothering you? What's on your mind? And he says, mom, you better get up to my room pretty quick and look under my bed because I'm telling you somebody's either coming or they're going. And I thought that was just the cutest thing in the world. Um, I think my kids would think the same thing. There's a lot of dust under their bed, too. But he thought somebody was coming or somebody was going. And I thought that was too precious. So I had to share it with you today. Maybe you guys could get a little chuckle out of it. But I'm wondering today, as we move into the next phase of humanity's creation, we've looked at a little bit of what things were supposed to originally look like before the fall. I want us to now go to that devastating moment of the fall and take a look at what took place here. And I'm curious, I'm wondering if you have ever had anything that you have worked so hard for be completely destroyed. And stick with me, I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. Have you ever had something that you either spent a lot of time, money, energy on, and it just was ruined? Because I have one of those stories. It was very sad to me, and I still remember it to this day. But when my husband and I were um, done with college, when he had finished, we were able to move back to our hometown for a little while. And um, we had two young babies with us. I think literally we had a six-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. And so we have these little guys that we're going back to our hometown with. And for the first time ever in our marriage, we had a little bit of money. We had a little bit of money saved up. 
And he began working at the hospital there, and it was a great job. We we rented this beautiful home that we loved, but we had this little bit of money, and for the first time, we were going to be able to buy a brand new furniture set for our living room. And I want to tell you something. It might not sound like a big deal to you, but it was to us because we had never purchased our own furniture. Everything that we had had, and maybe if you have ever been in that place, you're going to know what it's like to be brand new, newly married, young kids. But we had never purchased our own furniture. And so this was a big, big deal to us. Everything that we had had was hand-me-downs or given to us by somebody who was um, incredibly sweet. But we were thrilled. And so, in fact, I enlisted the help of my mother to do this very important task. And we were going to go purchase this furniture set. And so we take this money, which was a lot of money for us, and we went to these different furniture um, uh, stores. And I want to tell you something. We spent a long time looking because I wanted it to be just right. I only had this one amount, and I wanted this this living room furniture to be awesome. So we went to um, all these different stores, looked at everything, spent so much time and energy and effort on this, and finally picked out the set I had been longing for and waiting for. And it was gorgeous. It was this very um, supple leather couch and love seat with like the nail head trim. It was beautiful. Just this gorgeous, almost kind of brown burgundy leather that was beautiful. So we had a couch and a love seat, a coffee table that was really pretty, had marble in it. We had this um, leather wingback reclining chair that was a cream color that went with the set. Anyway, we had it all picture perfect and I loved it. We, the furniture people brought it. We were able to set it up in our living room. I had these new plants, these big, beautiful plants that we had set up in our living room as well. It was gorgeous. I was so thrilled. Now, the other thing I need to mention to you is that maybe we thought it was the American dream coming true. I don't know. But the other thing that we had recently got when we moved back to our hometown was a puppy. Now, I want to tell you something. I need to be clear. This wasn't just a little puppy. We had a St. Bernard puppy. So if you can picture this, this puppy is not a puppy. He's kind of the size of a full-grown dog. But we have this St. Bernard puppy that's in our house. And he's probably already maybe four months old at this time. I had my husband work nights because he worked at the hospital. And the dog was supposed to sleep in his room with him until I got home. I went to the gym to go work out for a little bit. Took my two little kids and came home. When I opened our front door, I was able to walk right into our living room. And what I saw devastated me. Clearly, I'm still bitter about it because I still remember it to this moment. But I opened up the door and somehow this puppy had gotten out of our bedroom and he went right to my brand new leather furniture. And I want to tell you something. He was all over it. He had just scratched the heck out of it. He had just ruined it. And I'm not kidding you. He had also gotten on my plants, my big, beautiful plants. He had strung them out all over the living room. So I now not only have dirt all over, but because of his drool, he has created this mud substance that is caked into my white carpets that's on every piece of furniture. There's hair, drool, mud, dirt, plants. Everything is everywhere. And I don't even know if I could breathe properly when I first saw that. And when I look at him, he's literally just lounging on my couch couch enjoying life. Needless to say, I just, I wanted him gone in two seconds. And of course we didn't, we kept him and we loved him, but I was so devastated and heartbroken because what I had worked so hard on, what we had worked so hard for was destroyed in a moment of moment of seconds because of the St. Bernard. I don't know. You might have to think again if you're getting a puppy and you have new furniture. We were not so smart at this time. But I want us thinking about that because on such a larger scale today, we are going to see how in just a short period of time, Satan came in and destroyed what God had made, what he loved, what he had worked on. We're going to look at the temptation, the fallout, and the aftermath of the destruction of Satan. We're going to look at that over these next couple weeks. 
And so like I said earlier, last week we saw the awe and the splendor and the beauty and the purpose of creation of us as womankind. This week, though, I want us to see the deception, the lies, the loss, the pain, the shame of evil and of sin that wreaked havoc on God's gorgeous creation. And of course, his was so much better than a new living room set. But I want you to have that in your mind and just think about the heartbreak of our God the moment that this took place. This is just huge, um, what happened and what what happened during this time. But I want us to remember that even through the fall of humanity, we're going to see a spark of hope because our God will never be outdone. I want to tell you something. Mercy will always triumph. Grace will win every time. But there is a lot to learn from Eve and what happened between her and this serpent. And so we're going to take a good look at it today. And I want us to begin in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1. Again, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along. And if not, listen, let the Word of God speak this morning. But chapter 3, verse 1, I want us to read what it says here. It says, now, at this point, now remember, God had given them the mandate, go, go be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and rule the earth. And some time after that, this, this event takes place. So chapter three, verse one, it says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he comes up to the woman at this time and he initiates a conversation with her. Listen to what he says. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? Now, I want us to know right away who this serpent truly is because we do know who he is. So in case you don't know or don't understand that the Bible does tell us, we find out who the serpent is in Revelation 12, 7 through 9. It's saying this. It's describing when war broke out in heaven. And so this is what it's talking about. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. It says, then war broke out in heaven and Michael, who's an archangel, and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. And so we get from that clear picture there that we know who this serpent is. It is that great dragon, Satan, the devil, whose whole goal was to lead the world astray. So what we know is that Satan, though, he must have been created good at the very beginning. And that's just a little history for you. We know that because Genesis 1:31 tells us that all that God had made, and he, he describes all of creation, the heavens, the heavenly host. Ezra explains to us that all the hosts of heaven were made at creation and all the hosts of heaven, meaning the angelic hosts, were made to worship him. And God had pronounced in Genesis 1:31 that everything he made was good. However, at some point, what we pick up from that passage in Revelation is at some point, led astray by his pride, Satan fell and he led many other angels into sin as well. Second Peter talks about that. And we actually went over it a little bit in our study of the book of Jude. When Peter is describing the fall of the angels, he says, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but he sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. That comes from second Peter 2, 4. The Bible says from the get-go, Satan was a murderer. It says he was a murderer from the beginning, that he is the father of lies. And in fact, pick that up. That is his language. Do you recognize that? He only speaks lies. That is his, um, his language. That's the verbiage he uses is lies. So if anything is contrary to the word of God, you're going to know exactly where it comes from. Satan can't tell the truth. He is the father of lies. That is his language. We know he is the, the accuser 
of the brethren, the accuser of those who are saved by Jesus. He is the tempter, the evil one. And from the beginning, he has had this one goal to alienate people from God and God from his people. And we can understand that, right? Because as people, as humans, we were made with something different than the angels were ever made with. We were made to represent the image of God. We were in fact made in the image of God. That is something that angels were not made with. Have you ever also thought about the fact that when the angels fell from heaven, there was no redemption offered to them. And yet when all of humanity fell, Think about the great lengths that God went to to save humanity. You see, he loves humanity. He loves us humans that were created in his image. And Satan hates us for that. And it's very clear. And so from the get-go, he has wanted to alienate people from God and God from his people. And it's important, though, that we know our enemy. And I talked to you a while about this, um, even using my son as an example. He loves basketball. He studies his team's playbook relentlessly. He practices for hours. But he also makes sure that he knows who it is he's going up against. He watches them. He learns what their moves are, what their tricks are, so that he can counter move and defend and be victorious. We need to be aware of our enemy's moves, of his tricks, so we can counter move as well. So we can, through the power of God, put up a defense and through Jesus Christ, be victorious. Satan is a one-trick pony. I'm going to tell you that. His moves haven't changed since the dawn of time through the ages, and we're going to unmask them right now. He is the master tempter, and we're going to see just how he tempts us. First, I want you to catch this. He is subtle. He is subtle. I want us to go back to that very first verse in chapter three. It says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. That word crafty or cunning, a more exact translation of that word is subtle. That's what he is. He's cunning. He is. He ever so subtly slithers his way into our lives, into our minds with his temptation. And so what we pick up from that is most often it's not going to be so blatant and in our face at first. It's kind of like a small germ that once it's introduced to our spiritual bodies, if it's not recognized and fought off immediately, it begins to grow and spread, causing sickness and disease to take over. It's very much the same way. Satan is subtle. He is subtle and crafty and cunning in the way he comes at us. So we have to be on our guard because it's not always as blatant and and in your face as you might think. And we pick up on that within the story of he and Eve. So I want us to, to look at this. We need to recognize the subtlety with which he works. Now look at what he says to the woman finishing this verse one of chapter three. Do you see what he does right away? He says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Do you notice what it is that he does right away? Because this is important. He causes her to doubt the word of God. Did we hear that? He causes her to doubt the very word of God because God had already spoken to them both and said he had given every tree and every plant bearing their good fruit for them to eat. He had already told them, eat whatever you want. That was the word of God, except for this one tree that was planted in the middle of the garden. He had shared that with Adam. You may not eat of that tree. Now, Satan immediately in his subtlety causes her to doubt the word of God. This is huge because it's still what he does today. Through all different voices, he tries to get us to doubt the very word of God that we have. Did God really say this? Does he actually mean that? I know that this verse says it here, but I don't know. Does that really apply to our modern society? He gets us to try to doubt the very word of God. He did it at the beginning. He's doing it still today. 
Did God really say? Now the seed of doubt actually begins to germinate and sink in with her as you see that she then adds to the word of God. So listen to how she responds to him in verse two. The woman said to the serpent, no, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, already you can see that that seed of doubt is germinating because she's adding to the word of God. In in the account we have of him telling Adam not to eat the fruit of that tree, he never once tells him not to touch it. He doesn't say anything about that. Eve adds that in there. We can't eat it. And you can almost see this frustration. We can't even touch it or we are going to die. And so we see that um, this almost makes God seem harsh or rigid or legalistic. And so that's what she's doing right here. You must not eat it. You must not touch it or you will die. I want you to see how Satan leads her further down this road of temptation by doing what he does best. He begins lying to her. When we do not know the word of God or we doubt the word of God, we are even more susceptible to the lies of the enemy. And we got to pay attention to that. We're even more susceptible. Listen to what he says in verse four. Now he's just flat out lying. He says, no, you will not die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not die. In fact, he says that God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right now, what we know is he flat out, he first subtly comes in, gets her to start doubting the word. She then takes that bait and adds to the word of God, making God sound even more legalistic um, than what Satan was trying to show him that he was. And I want you To see, though, what God says in chapter 2, verse 17, when he's talking to Adam, he says, You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Satan out and out lies to her now because he says, You will not die if you eat it. No, you will not die. So we see this complete opposite of what God says. We see that now Satan's kind of on this roll. He's kind of going at it a little bit more. And so he's going to add in a little deception in verse five. Now he's going to go back to that. He says, in fact, God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. Now, this is partially true. Her eyes would be opened and she would know good and evil. But unfortunately, that knowledge would not just be a head knowledge. It was going to be an experiential knowledge. Unfortunately, her and Adam, she and Adam would both would both experience some good, yes, but they would also for the first time experience evil. And through this, they would not become more like God who created them. I want you to hear me. They were going to become more like the devil that tempted them. This is that great lie and that great deception when we think we can become like God. This is what he's saying. You're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. But you know what? In the giving into that temptation, Eve did not become more like God. She became more like the one who tempted her, fallen, corrupt, and condemned. Satan had caused her to doubt God's word. He had lied and deceived her, and he had made her question God's goodness, his motives. He made it seem like even um, God had lied. And we have here, we have to stop here for just a second and realize that up to this point, and I want us to think about it, Eve had never experienced any evil. She had no reason to fear danger. She had lived this life of bliss in the Garden of Eden. She had the word of God. She had relationship with God. And yet we get on her so much for falling. I want to tell you something. We have all of those things. We have the word of God. We have relationship with God. And now we even have the knowledge to know good from evil and still we fall. 
So before you jump all on the bandwagon of getting mad at Eve, I want you to understand something. We would have done it no better. She didn't even know evil yet. We know evil and we still fall. So let's take a look at these three temptations that she faced really quickly before we break for today. They're the same through the ages. I want us to read verse six because they give us the clue to the three temptations that Eve faced and the three temptations we still face today. It says, then the woman in verse six of chapter three, then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. I want us to zero in on this because in and of themselves, they might sound quite natural, but when motivated by evil and in evil lust, sinful desire, the results are, are disastrous or devastating. In fact, 1 John is going to tell us that sin can be summed up in three categories, and they're actually the very three categories listed right here in Genesis. 1 John says this, for everything in the world that comes to us from the world, which are these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Did you pay attention to that? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The verse six says, then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was delightful to look at, the lust of the eyes, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, the pride of life. You see, sometimes like Eve, we might struggle with one of those temptations and then that one temptation leads into the next and into the next. But sometimes we struggle with just one um, or more of those temptations than the others. I want to encourage us this week to really be considering what is it that you struggle with most? Lord, reveal to us, do we really struggle with the the, um, lust of the flesh? Do we struggle with lust of the eyes or with the pride of life? Where is it that we struggle the most? If you think about those lusts of the flesh, we just have to have it. We want it. We want to own it. We want it on me, with me. And maybe we think about the lusts of the eyes. We just like to look at beautiful things. I want my eyes to see things that I probably shouldn't. I just want to watch these things. And so that lust creeps in with that as well as we allow our eyes to look at things that are ungodly and unholy and we should not be looking at. Or maybe it's the pride of life. You want more and more knowledge. You want more and more wisdom so you can be known more and more. It's that pride that puffs us up. You see, it was that temptation to be like God. That was a temptation that cost Satan his place in heaven. So we have to think about that. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Eve was deceived by those three things. Ultimately, that that temptation to be like God. But I want us to remember this um, because we'll come back to it later. She was deceived and I want us to pay attention to what happened here. She was deceived and she fell. So it says when she saw that the, the fruit of that tree was good for food, it was delightful to look at, that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, she took some of its fruit and she ate it. Now, can you imagine that moment when destruction and death and sin shatter the beauty of God's creation, because that is what's taking place right here. It shattered God's creation in a second, and all that God had worked for now was marred and destroyed, and a plan of action was going to have to be made in order to bring humanity back into right relationship with God. This is the place that today we probably are just going to look at um, and stop right here. Because this was um, where she fell into that temptation. Now, next week, we're going to really take a look at it. And we're going to find out the ins and outs of what it meant to have those temptations. We're going to look at the fallout of this. But today, I just want us to pay attention 
that we have this propensity to fall into the same type of temptation. The pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. Eve was deceived by those three things. And when we look at verse six, she took the fruit and she ate it. And listen to how it finishes, though. She also gave some to her husband who ate with her. So she also gave some to her husband, it says, who was with her, and he ate it as well. Can you picture that, husbands? I'm just going to leave us with this thought right now. Where in the world was Adam? What was he doing? He was standing right with her. It said that she took some, she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. We're going to take a really good look at that next week as the... um as we get a look at the differences between Eve's fall and Adam's fall and what both of those meant. But I want us to just hear that this was the sad crash of sin invading earth. This was that moment when she gave in to that thought to be like God. You see, when we do not know the word of God, when we are not sure of the word of God, we are susceptible to the lies of the enemy. And this this morning, I want to encourage us, know the word of God. Be sure about it. Don't allow that subtle nagging to come in where he causes us to doubt where he causes us to add to the word of God and then to believe the lies from the enemy. That leads us straight into those three temptations. We're going to pick up this study next week, and I hope you can join us. There's so much to talk about next week as we go into this further. Um, I'm so thrilled. If, um, if, Like I said, if you have not joined us before, tune into onetruth-ministries.com and check out the previous segments. I'm excited to continue our study next week. I will be praying that God will bless you as you go out this week, that you will enjoy and know and be enthralled with the word of God. Thank you.